Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, welcome back once again. This is Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com. I am Mike Casaza, joined by Chris Anderson, as always, to discuss, as always, another West Virginia loss on the road. This time we can kind of hang an asterisk on uh, maybe special teams, certainly having a special season. Number one, Baylor, just front to back, top to bottom, side to side, is better than West Virginia right now. Um, certainly days and weeks ago and probably days and weeks from now, that's true as well. So you look at it and say, wow, 70 to 59, not embarrassing. Numbers lie. And to help me discuss it, I will – tagging Chris here because for parts of this Chris this was as bad as this team had looked for a lot of parts of it a lot long extended parts of this game it was as bad as they had looked um oddly enough the only stretches I would say they looked decent I don't want to go so far as to say the g word but um decent was when they went with unconventional lineups or focused offensively in, in a area or on a player that they hadn't, you know, at, towards the end of the first half when all point guards were out and Jermaine Haley was running the point. West Virginia ends on, I believe it was an 8-0 run there to end the half. Could have even been better than that. Mm-hmm. Now for, you know, a couple little little things. And then in the second half with Taz Sherman, who was one of the best scorers in junior college but has been – more or less a no-show, a eighth or ninth, tenth man on this team for most of the season, all of a sudden just going off, shooting shooting all over the place, making shots. And as Huggins said it after the game, he said, you know, told him, if Taz is hot, pass the ball to Taz. Give it to the hot man. And those were the only two times West Virginia looked good when they did things that they haven't been doing and struggling with. Amazing thing about college basketball is when you're struggling and when the other team is hot, and you're getting smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror. That basket gets smaller and smaller. And when you're losing and the other team is just kind of goofing around, that basket gets huge. It's unbelievable. <laughs> here's, um, here's a way to summarize this game in, in a twitter size encapsulation. West Virginia had double-digit turnovers before double-digit points in the first half. Seven Baylor players had a basket before one West Virginia player had a basket in the second half. That's your game right there. Very nice. Very Look, nice. And, to, and nice. to piggyback it uh, with the stat I put out there earlier, speaking of Twitter, yeah. uh, the fifth time in the last year and a half that West Virginia has turned it over more than 20 times and made fewer than 20 field goals, the fifth time in the last year and a half, and it had only happened five times in the previous 40 years. I don't know. I don't want to, you know, I'll let everybody draw their own conclusions on that, on what that means of it happening so much over the last year and a half. But obviously, when you're turning the ball over more, 22 today, than you are making baskets, 19, um, that's bad. 
And that's my VIP analysis right there. I hope you didn't pay the whole subscription <laughs> price for that one, folks. I know what Twitter is probably like right now. I'm not going to look, but I'm going to close my eyes and imagine. I'm sure that even on the good parts of our boards and sometimes the part of our boards that get down, it's by and large to any site. I'm sure that people are really hammering away at Huggins and you know the way this offense has either not lifted the bar or met the bar and now is just being crushed by the bar. Um but like, and, and you know, oh, you need to change in the off season. You know, add some of this, add some of that. Get away from this. Get away from that. And I get that. I can't imagine if a football team went through this and didn't look at its offense in the off season. And I'm pretty sure that that would be a similar conversation for Huggins. I'm not advocating for that, but what I am saying, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's a bad idea either. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but like, my point is that like, they're not even running offense. Like, there's guys moving and guys taking shots, but how they get from A to B or A to Z, it's not linear. It's not organized. It's sometimes chaotic, it looks like, and it's for myriad reasons, but um, it's hard to say this is a bad offense. I guess it's easy to say it's a bad offense, but it's hard to say when it doesn't even resemble an offense sometimes. Is that is that fair? Uh, yeah, it's fair. I think at one point, and I pointed this out, they, they looked like they were trying to run a play, and whoever it was that was at point kind of dribbled over to the left wing and Taz Sherman was in the corner. This was in the first half and Culver's on the post and Culver's just screaming at Sherman, yelling at him and pointing, telling him to cut or, or go somewhere. And Sherman's screaming back and pointing at Napper and screaming at Napper and pointing and telling him to go somewhere. And Napper's pointing back over at Sherman and shrugging his shoulders and pointing another direction. Yeah. And that's that's the first 10, 15 seconds of the offense is guys just awkwardly standing in weird places, yelling at each other, unsure where to go. And that's when they actually try to run a play. And and it just gets worse when they don't run a set play. A strange thing that I've noticed lately and certainly today, um, a little bit Wednesday and then again today and, and probably some, I guess, against Oklahoma, which, God, that seems like a month ago. That was a week ago. But is um so much of the season is get the ball inside, get the ball inside. And I feel like when the ball does get in there, the guards are check out like, Hey, we did our job and let's give it to one and 34 and let them do something. They get the ball and the defense knows that they're looking for the guards to do something. And the guards have already checked out. Um, and then the other part of that is too, is that the guards are sometimes so bad at getting the ball inside that maybe if you're Culver or Sheway, you check out in a play because you posted and reposted and maybe even posted a third time. Why give me the ball? The shot clock's running away. I'm going to have three seconds to make a move and get up. And I'm probably going to get, you know, clobbered and not do anything because of a desperation situation. And it just seems like it's, it's these two people who are chasing each other in like one of those turnstile doors at a department store and they're never going to get on the same page. I could not agree more with you right there. We've wow. seen it several times. We saw it tonight. We saw it last in the last game of, Culver just doing everything he can to try to get his man on his back and getting good position and throwing his arm up for the post-entry pass. And then somebody, uh, in the instance that I'm thinking of, was Deuce McBride dribbling, dribbling, staring right at him, dribbling some more, and then just looking somewhere else. And Culver, in the one I'm talking about, which was not tonight, but the previous game, literally just gave up. He just he stopped posting up. He stood up. Just his shoulders dropped. He was done. That was it. He was done with the play. And it, and Huggins pointed about it or talked about it after the game tonight. Said he wishes he could just make these point guards. Huggins would 
make these point guards go down there and, and have them fight for position and get beat on the back and pushed around and shoved around and try so hard to get open to get the ball and then never give it to them. And you can see why it gets frustrating. But but as you also noted, when they do get it down there, and this goes back to a reason I thought that you know Chase Harler was was good for this offense is because he cuts. He cuts when it goes into the post. He'll cut to the to an open wing or to the corner or even to the basket if it's there. But everybody else on the team, you're right. They pass it in. They get into the post, and that's it. Yeah, they're for them. The offense is done, and that's not how it works, man. You want to get it into the post because that is when you're going to be most open because your guy is going to double down. He's going to uh, uh, turn his head and look at the ball, and that's when you can reposition yourself, reset yourself, and get open. And you, that's when you're going to get your best shots, and no one seems to do that. Yeah. Um, here's some more expert VIP analysis for you, too. Emotion offense applies to players should be in motion. <laughs> you should not have concrete Nikes and be stuck in one spot. You should not be shuffling from one corner to the other. So that's one problem, too. The other thing is, too, that just because you go from A to B, you're not done you got to keep moving. But also, when you do get to B, that ball needs to be there. Um, far too often, West Virginia passes to a guy standing still because that player has either gotten there and arrived and either knows he's not going to get the ball or knows he's going to get the ball when he's standing still. But also, when you're standing still, you have no momentum. Your threat is taken away. You're not gonna, you can catch a cut. You can catch a pass back. You can catch and jump. If you're moving, you have all these options. If you're standing still, you're given the defense the advantage to react and recover. And I actually thought that the, the guys who were doing the game today made some good points about hockey passes for Baylor. And they don't run the same things, I get that. But, like, Baylor hit guys on the move, and then the ball moved again. And then Baylor hit guys who were coming off of curls or who were cutting. They were on the move. They weren't standing still. Like, that sounds so simple, but it has somehow just avoided these guys during, I mean, what, the season? Certainly for the Big 12 portion of the season. And, and not just moving, uh, there are certain guys on this team that, and Harler's one, McNeil, I think, is one of them. They are, they're cutting with a purpose. They're cutting with a purpose. They're moving with a purpose. And when they get the ball, they're ready. They are ready to shoot or dribble or do something with it. And a lot of times, just like you're talking about, um, even in the rare instances where these other perimeter players are moving, and they kind of just moving to a spot because they think that's where I'm supposed to go, but they're yeah. not ready to catch the ball. They're not ready to shoot the ball. They're not ready to do anything with it. They're just going there because they think I'm supposed to go there. That That's an open spot over there and not do anything with it. McNeil had flashes tonight of, of being a little bit more aware. I think sometimes he got caught in the same side as the ball and a guy was waving him out of the way. And then, but sometimes he just, he hangs in the wing and doesn't move a whole lot and, Again, like if you're if you're getting doubled, you got to move, you got to pop open, and, and just, it doesn't happen very much here. It's 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 frustrating because I think McNeil has the potential to become like a Harler type of player, um, and I don't mean to say that one day, wow, you can grow up and be Chase Harler. What I mean is that like he's a guy who can cut and who could make drives to the basket, who could you know by doing that give himself some room for that twelve footer that he's probably pretty good at. He's got a great frame. He seems like he's you know athletic enough to do some things when he has the ball, but. Um, you know, missing three games doesn't help, but he looked a little bit slow on the spot today, too. Uh, I don't want to look at the box score too much and break into it because I think it's kind of deceiving in some regard. There are some fun stats we can pull out, but I don't want to turn this into the Dead Horse podcast. Um, I want to start at the very beginning, though, if you don't mind. Uh, Huggins told West Virginia Illustrated Friday, I guess, maybe Thursday, I'm not sure, that he was probably going to have to sit Culver or Shibway at the start of the game just because they needed to have an offensive lift. 
and because it would be too hard for them to match up against Baylor. Um, now, Baylor, to their defense, uh, did not start Macy Oteague. He actually didn't even play. So they weren't quite as guard-heavy as always, but they replaced a guard who didn't play with a guard who came off the bench. So, in theory, the same lineup, and Huggins did not pull the trigger on a change. Huggins changed lineups like sneakers last year. It was not uncommon for him to have a different one on Saturday and then a different one on Monday and a different one on Saturday again. Why did he consider this was a good idea and good enough to share with people and to maybe pursue in practice and then not pull the trigger before the game? Can I answer your question with a question? Go for it. Who are you subbing out and subbing in? What's your, what's your going to be your four quote-unquote guard lineup in this situation? Well, I, I think that I mean, here's here's two questions. Do you pull out Colbert or do you pull out Matthews? Not do you pull out Colbert or do you pull out Chibwe? Um, are you better with Harler or Sherman or McNeil in place of Matthews? I'm not sure that's where Huggins is going. Maybe that's a conversation he has now, but I would think that if you're trying to match up and do things, Harlow would be your first option just because of the all-around game. But certainly, McBride can start. Maybe Sherman can start without disrupting the Harlow-McBride um, dynamic on the bench. Perhaps it was just too much of a roll of the dice. But if it sounds like a good idea, and you kind of know what you're going to get, which ultimately you did get, why not make the change? I don't know. I thought it was going to be interesting. I would At first, I honestly thought it might work out. Uh, with going with the two bigs and just trying to say, because sometimes you, you got to go strength on strength and, and try to see which way is going to work. I mean, obviously there's mismatches both ways. If you go two bigs and the other team's got smalls, because then you got size and they got speed or outside shooting and who's going to take care of it, uh, take advantage of the other more than, more than vice versa. But if, cause I, I would have stuck with it. I don't know. I, I don't like the idea. Mm-hmm of adjusting your line well excuse me i would have stuck with my two bigs uh i'll get to matthews in a minute but i would have stuck with my two bigs because i don't like the idea of completely changing your lineup just to try to match up with the other team when you could try to force the other team to make changes to match up with you fair enough what concerned me or what maybe piqued my curiosity here was that huggins has said that he was not going to downsize he was going to be um, the way he wanted to be all season because it was going to give him an advantage in March. Is that still true? Is this going to be such a um, unique or unusual opponent that it's to West Virginia's advantage, or is West Virginia a team that's going to be so offensively limited that it has to consider, hey, how do we get off to a better start, and then we can establish our two bigs? Well, I think part of the problem is when was the last time West Virginia had two big like. When was the last yeah. time these yeah. two bigs actually both had a good game at the same time? Yeah, that's not common. Right. Let's um, uh, let's talk about one of the bigs. Let's. Um, Shibway, I, I think, did um, had a had an issue against Gillespie, just like he had an issue at times against Azubuke. Big guys give guys like him trouble, and that's that's a freshman thing. It's not a, a slight. Um, it's just that he played good players and didn't have great, you know, second half against Kansas twice. Now uh, wasn't terrific today. Had some issues that were pretty apparent. Uh, Culver is supposed to be able to rise above that. He's a bigger, more challenging player physically. Um, and just, I don't want to say, you know, attitude was an issue there, but if I, if I'm reading his body language, um, it was a lot of four letter words. He just didn't look happy out there. No, a lot of moping, a lot of shoulders drooping. Um, and then what, uh, only three minutes in the second half. 
and, and those and it wasn't even a full three minutes, just two and a half minutes, and that was solely to give Oscar a breather um, after Oscar had just played eight straight minutes, and then two and a half minutes of Culver, and then right back to Oscar for the remainder of the game until he fouled out. So it, it wasn't even a thought of him being a factor in the second half in this game. I mean, obviously the game I think was it was double digits to start the half and quickly got up to 20, but I don't, do you think, do you think uh, his role changes if West Virginia cuts it to two or do you think he's still only playing two and a half minutes? If they get into that type of a distance, it's because he's on the bench. Right. I think you change that. And again, I thought that they poked him proud and he got close enough in the second half. And I don't know what the reason was. If he came in with two fouls late in the first half, except that I think Huggins was like, it's up to you. If you want to play in the second half, survive these 90 seconds. And he didn't. Um, and again, you're right. He just he gave Shibuya a, just a, a breath in the second half, and that was about it. But uh, I'm trying to pull up his game logs here, and I just I can't remember last time he was himself. Well, they show the stats during this game of the last of the last three contests. And it was what three and nine, two of ten, and then one of four today. Uh, I mean, Kansas State, 19 and 14, went eight of 15 from the field. Start of the month, two weeks ago today. Yeah. I think it's the last time. And, I mean, a lot of points on the foul line. That 14 for 16 game against Texas Tech, the Texas game before. Tech. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, been a while since he was right. And, again, I have a feeling he's he's a harder guy to turn around, not because he's big and, you know, like a barge in the river or anything like that. But, like, it just seems like it's it's been hard to slow him down for a year plus now, too. And just habits seem like they're hard for him to break. And I wonder if he's if he's trending down you know how do you slow that guy down and get him to do things now he did get the free throw thing right for a day when Huggins spent an hour with him after the game so it's not impossible for him to spin it back to where it was but I feel like it's going to take some effort there too um another one for you here um Brandon Napper played very early in this game after I think a lot of people were critical of his performance against Kansas especially when it mattered uh it did not go well um they made 17 substitutions in the first half they made just 12 in the second half. Granted, the second half got away a little bit, but also Huggins did focus on a handful of players. He even changed his starting five for the second half to reflect who and what worked well in the first half amid all those subs. But is there something to the fact that in that first half, it did get away. There wasn't much continuity or rhythm on offense because guys were shuttling in and out or were guys shuttling in and out as a result of all the bad things that were happening on offense? Uh in this instance, I believe it was everything was going wrong, and Huggins was just trying to find somebody to help, kind of to plug the leak in and try to help out, and he couldn't find it until he got to that lineup at the end of the first half with Haley running the point. I think Harler was it Haley Harler, um, Sheway was out there. Who else was out there at the end of the first half there? But it, it, there was no true point guard. I know that much. It was yeah. Haley playing the one, Harler and Shermer out there, and Osaboyan and Shibway were in the post. Yeah. And I'm stunned. It, well, first, I was stunned that he turned to Napper so quickly in the first half for the exact reasons you mentioned about how things went in the last game. Um, but he was real quick to pull the trigger on the point guards. Uh, I think the game started with three minutes from McCabe, then two minutes from McBride, and then he was right in a napper. Uh, I think it was like the six-minute mark when I made a comment about six minutes into the game, and we got six turnovers from four different players and on the third point guard already. Um, that's, that's where West Virginia was at that point. And 
But I am stunned that Haley did not start at point guard to start the second half. I thought that worked so well toward to end the first half that they would come out and run in the second half. And I'm not – did they run it much at all, like, in, in that in that lineup? I don't feel like because I think McBride started and then he went to McCabe. Um, and McBride – yeah, they just subbed back and forth. Mc, 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 uh, excuse me, McCabe and McBride back and forth in the second half. So uh, he didn't really go to that big lineup in the second half at all. Let's wrap this up here by looking ahead. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. There's six and six in the Big 12. And, I mean, <laughs> people are going to say this is reactionary and why you're reacting to the loss. No, it's four out of five or four and five in the last nine. So it's not like this is just some flash. Um, I, they're, they're not necessarily off on Wednesday in the Big 12 tournament. They're tied for fourth right now with Oklahoma, who has the tiebreaker, but they still have one left. But. Uh, they've got to play TCU in Texas. Those are both on the road. Um, I have no idea what to expect either one of them. They both look like they're fading fast. So, I mean, they, they might be able to attrition their way to a top six seed. But, like, man, if they if they lose to Oklahoma State, which is a tough matchup for them because the stuff they can do on the perimeter likely is a tough draw because he can get inside. Um, and that game wasn't a blowout. It's just that Oklahoma State couldn't score in the first game. And they're pretty good lately. They beat Texas Tech on Saturday at home. Um, then again, the back-to-back road games on Saturday and Monday is tough. You get back against Oklahoma. I, I mean, it's it's very slippery right now, too. But seeding in the Big 12 tournament is one conversation. Perhaps that's too far gone. Not for the NCAA tournament. I mean, just last Saturday, they were a two-seed in the preliminary exercise by the NCAA. Now, I'd be curious. I would assume they're on a four. Um, maybe, that's my guess maybe some say three five it's probably too early for that they're still going to be a top 25 team probably a top 12 in the net but with basketball to play and and frankly who have they beaten an, an unranked texas tech and then you know ohio state's looking like a better win now but um what are the immediate concerns apart from winning obviously win the games in front of you but how real are concerns about the big 12 about the ncaa and about you know quality wins and the strength of schedule um, they got to get I, I, you got you really really want to avoid that one seed in the NCAA tournament. So the difference between two and three, who who cares? But the difference between three and four is a lot bigger, I, I think. Once you start thinking about NCAA tournament seeding, because if you can get to that three seed, you have a much easier path to the Sweet Sixteen. Um, but once you get to four, you, you know. It gets tougher. I think, and just as you mentioned, uh, you might have just said it right now, but I know you mentioned it to me before we got on the podcast. If they win these next five games against Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa State, does that move them? Does the NCAA, does the selection committee care? Does anybody care that they That's win? That's wild. Those Isn't that weird? Like, I mean, wow, a five game winning streak, that certainly wipes away a four and five stretch. And it does, but like, I mean, what have you accomplished? You right. beat five teams that aren't probably in the postseason. You may have beaten Oklahoma out of the tournament. So you haven't beaten a postseason tournament team. And, like, yeah, Ohio State looks good. But, man, Rhode Island, Northern Iowa, and Wichita State, those are a long time ago. So that puts a lot of eggs into that basket against Baylor. And we just saw what happened against Baylor. Yeah. I think, you know, you're talking five and one, and you still might have to get a win in the Big 12 tournament to get a three seed 
any worse than that, I think you're looking at a four or a five or, you know, let's not get too crazy down the line, but because they, they have built a decent resume. There's no like world beaters that they've beaten so far. But, uh, you know, those wins against Northern Iowa and Wichita State are still holding up pretty well, um, at least according to the net rankings. But, yeah, resumes can slip. Uh, you know, they've like you said, three in a row, four of six have lost, and then some tough games coming up. So got to got to at least go four and two down the stretch, five and one preferably. So tie for third with Oklahoma. Um, excuse me, tie for fourth with Oklahoma. Uh, they're a game back at Texas Tech, so they really need to hope that Texas Tech drops a game and they can pick one up sooner than later. Um, because, again, you mentioned the one and the four in the NCAA tournament. Same thing holds true in the Big 12 tournament, correct? Like, you want to stay away from that one seed as long as you can, obviously. Um, after that, TCU, five wins. And then Texas and Iowa State. Iowa State both have four. I don't think you have to worry about Oklahoma State, even if they come in and win Tuesday. Certainly not Kansas State. So really, you're playing just to stay your keep your head above some combination of those two teams. Like you want to, you'd like Texas Tech to come down to you if you can get over them. That's great, but just worry about those teams that got four wins and five wins, and you're okay. You're off the first day of the tournament. But I, I, I it sounds silly, but like if a bad week turns into two bad weeks, which maybe has already happened, why couldn't they fall to a seven in the, in the seedings? That's crazy. I can't, I, Chris, I can't believe this. Like, like two weeks ago, you would have, you would have, I would have, I would have hung up on you if we had this conversation. Well, yeah, I was going to say, it's not looking at, and I'm looking through the possibilities for other things. And even, God, even just a four and a five seed is tough. Cause then you're playing, if you're right. in four, you're playing the five or five playing the four or whatever. So it's possible that they could end up playing Texas tech or Oklahoma in the quarterfinal, the very first game they play in the big 12 tournament, even if they do okay down the stretch so man getting to that three would sure be nice so you could play somebody like a flailing texas team in the quarterfinals if they can win their opening game wolf unbelievable how quick this changes but i guess that's a good thing here um really unusual schedule a wednesday game a saturday game a tuesday game and then a couple days off before back-to-back road games so um it doesn't get easier and it doesn't slow down but well, I mean, it, as I say, we're talking about how tricky this is, but it is, we should note that what four, one, two, three, four of their next five games are against teams that are in the bottom half of the league rather than the top half like they've been playing. Yeah. They've been yeah. playing Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Baylor. So it should get easy, but it's not, but it's still tricky, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's easier, but still tricky. It's just a question. Have they earned the benefit of the doubt where you feel okay about these next five games? Can you pull out four or five? Have they earned that benefit of the doubt? And again, like that doesn't mean in the past week or two weeks. That means across the season. And I think if you step back and you say, well, they still have good metrics. Computers like them. Rankings, rankers like them. They should be okay. But boy, if you're up close and you're watching this recently, I think you realize that you can't pencil anything or anybody in right now. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Two couple weeks ago, this was looking like a stretch of at least four or five wins in a row. And now, who knows? Uh, close on this. I don't want to single him out, but I believe you had – I cut you off and you said you wanted to get to him. But uh, Emmett Matthews, that's a score tonight, 0 for 3. Um, and just by and large, didn't play. I mean, he was another guy who gave someone a break in the second half. Um, the hooks are getting quick with him. His second half minutes are, are, are slipping. It just didn't look like he was in there today. Um this just feels like the guy who you keep thinking he's going to get it going because he's too good and he's too talented. But here we are. Uh, 
late on into the season, 25 games in right now. And it's looking like a sophomore slump to, to be too cliche, I think, but that may also be accurate. Yeah. I mean, one in five, one in six, and oh, and three in his last three games. A lot of games looking like that. If you go through his, his game by game performance and today, I mean, these shots were not even close for him. I, I mean, I 0 for 3, and I feel like one of them hit the back of the rim so hard uh, you could hear it, you know, at the top of the at the top of the Coliseum, and one of them hit the backboard first. And you know that that's going to happen to guys. You're going to go into shooting slumps. Everybody is, but when that happens, you got to do other things. You got to you got to go on the court. You got to make a contribution some other way. And he literally recorded no positive stats for the entire time that he was on the court. No points, no rebounds, no assists, no blocks, no steals, not even one of those hockey assists that you were referencing and, and the TV guys were talking about. It was 13 entirely empty and negative minutes, which is not great for a guy that is one is one of your starters. And two, this summer we were talking about, holy crap, is this the best player on the team? How good Maybe is this going to be? Yeah. 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 So that is, uh, I mean, like I said, when we were talking about what lineup changes and stuff like that, that is the spot I would have looked at for a lineup change, even prior to today's performance. Yeah, body of work. Um, it just feels like, I mean, I, I think I wrote this, and I know I thought this. It felt like he would win a game or swing a game by coming out of it, and I think he thought he was going to come out of it. But uh, I, I still think that he's in that weird position. He's not a guard, and he's not a big. And a lot of the season has swung on, you know, can the guards play? They got to get going. Can the bigs play? Got to get on the ball. And here he is out there. And and I think oh, after a while, that's got to that's gotta wear on you. Like, how many times can he – the same things. How many times can a guy post up? How many times can a guy try to get the ball inside? Well, how many times can he, you know, dash and run and rebound and do effort stuff and not get rewarded? That's not a guy who gets the ball a whole lot. Whew. Mike, this is this is going south fast. We're turning into the negative podcast again. All right, we'll try. <laughs> we should play dodgeball or tug of war and get everybody feeling good. <laughs> People Michael. will talk about that, Chris. Michael. Cut all right, out. let's wrap it up before we get ourselves in trouble. That is all for this time. We will see you next time uh, for 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Kazaza. I have three things I think and three things I know. And an update on Jalen Bridges coming tomorrow. Chris? I uh, got a couple recruiting updates with some offensive linemen, including even more positive reviews for uh, in-state star Wyatt Millum and a couple new offers, as well as the updated power rankings, which, uh, spoiler alert, West Virginia is still number three. I mean, I feel like if you ask me who would win in a neutral site game right now, I'd go Texas Tech and move them ahead of West Virginia. But again, I like to keep those power rankings as what's actually been accomplished big picture. And, you know, you look at, at the quadrant wins and, and everything, and I think West Virginia still got them eked out I, after that loss at Oklahoma State. I was, re- I was ready to move Texas Tech up until that loss versus Oklahoma State today. That's a big, that's a big game. I mean, they could have been two games clear of West Virginia for third place. Yeah. Didn't happen. All right, well, he's Chris. I'm Mike. That's all for this time. We will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 